It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm one of those aforementioned CPG guys. My domains of expertise are around digital shelf content, customer data insights, loyalty, and CRM. And my co-host, he's the other CPG guy. He's an expert at branding, direct-to-consumer, unified commerce, retail media, and marketplaces increasingly, uh, which we're very focused on. So please join me welcoming the man with one name, Shri. Shri, how are you today, man? Awesome, Peter. Pleasure doing this week over week with you, and thank you for doing this show with me. I love this, Shri. We're having fun. I know we've got a great guest coming up. But before we talk about that, I want to remind our audience, we got a lot of content. 
we have generated, we're in closing in on a hundred episodes and we've got an enormous amount of content, be it audio, video, documents, podcasts we like to listen to. I'm, I'm even thinking about putting some recipes up there, Shri, because I think, I think we need to start doing some of that. Um, but in any event, you can get it for free. That's a pretty good price, right? Free. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat that. I mean, I guess we could pay you, but we're not going to do that. So don't even ask. But just go to cpgguys.com and you can find it all there. And as you know, we like to make our podcast about what you want to hear. And the way you tell us what you want to hear and who you want us to talk to is you go to ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. You know what, Shri? I think we're just going to stop the podcast here. If you don't go to ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys right now, we're just going to end it. Eh, maybe we're not going to do that. But we would appreciate you going there and leaving us a rating. We like the number five. It's up to you. But what we really want is the written review. Tell us what is important to you. We do poll occasionally on our LinkedIn page. You should follow us there too. You can get there by going to cpgguys.com. But we really want your feedback and we want this content to be audience driven. All right, enough about our shenanigans. Let's get to the heart of why we're here today. Uh, I met our guest for this episode about two years ago when I was living in Chicago and he was leading retail and technology partnerships at Salsify. He has got one heck of a tremendous resume. He worked at companies like Quad Graphics, uh, Lions Consulting, and Ascendant. In addition to his time at Salsify, he's also got a BS in journalism from Northwestern. BS in journalism. Do those go together? Oh, that's a bad joke, I know. And he's got an MS from DePaul also in Chicago. So he recently founded Isomer Group, which helps brands drive revenue customer loyalty, and organizational scale by harnessing the power of data, deploying digital consumer experiences, and ultimately modernizing core technology. Can't wait to get into this. I know Sheree is absolutely excited too. Well, please welcome to the podcast, my friend, Michael Hauck. Michael, how are you doing today? Good, Peter. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great. And Michael, our audience, they listen to the podcast, but they like to multitask. So before we get it started, one, can you tell people where they can find more about Isomer online? Yeah, absolutely. And then tell us a little bit about your business that I may not have covered in my, my little intro. Yeah, so you can find information on us online at isomer.group. It's I-S-O-M-R dot group. So easy to, easy to remember. Uh, and you, you hit it in a nutshell. It, what we do is help organizations put digital marketing technology in context and understand not only where it fits in their stack, but how it relates to their customers, how it relates to their business objectives, and how to leverage that technology uh, for those growth objectives or to improve the, the customer experience that their customers have with them. So that's what we do. That is great, Michael. We're going to put a link to your site and your LinkedIn profile in the liner notes to this podcast. So Let's get right to the question. I'm going to start us off here. Um, what's most interesting to me about, about your business, honestly, is the timing of your founding. Right? You're sitting here in the middle of this pandemic, right? The summer of 2020. And you decide, let's walk away from the comfortable W2 world and let's get into starting our own business, right? That has got to be 
on the face of it, a very bold decision, but probably underneath there were some really good conditions that told you it was the right time to do this. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are that you sound a whole lot like my wife did in August of last year. <laughs> and she's like, okay, hold up, hold up. I work in musical theater, so I was just furloughed and you want to do what? Um, but, you know, all of that being said, honestly, Peter, you, you nailed it. There was no better time to do this because what happened, I, w- I heard it over and over and over again in my previous role, which was constant frustration about which service and software providers can do what, what to focus on when. And then what happened with the onset of the pandemic last year is, I mean, as everybody who listens to your podcast knows, e-commerce exploded. It just absolutely took off. So we saw growth in three months we hadn't seen in a decade. And what happened as a result was the tide kind of went out on organizations that were like faking it until they made it. So, you know, it became really clear, really fast who knew what they were doing and who didn't, who had the right technology in place and knew what it was for and who didn't. Um, so that it just made it made it really, really clear that that this was the time. I mean, when we started this, we talked over 50 CEOs, CMOs, CDOs about kind of what the what the position was of their business, you know, four or five months into the pandemic. And that was the consistent feedback that we that we heard from them. So, yeah, I mean, it it was (laughs) seems like a little uh, bit of a bold move, but it was a no brainer at the time. Speaking of bold moves, obviously, your timing in the space is. Uh, very timely given that you know there's been a radical shift to e-commerce with overall retail shifting to digital retail and omni-channel in the last year. But what are those things that are apparent to you? Because this very large shift left a lot of retailers and brands unprepared as, as they had to watch because either they weren't focused on it or it was, a to be fair, a very tiny rounding error percent of their business. Was it supply chain? Was it packaging? Was it content? Was it search? You know, was it purely assortment, ratings and reviews, or was it just simply all of it? Yeah, I think that's so smart, Sri, because if if you think <laughs> going down memory lane as Peter was rattling off my resume there at the beginning, but it, we dialed the clock back by not even that far, three or four years. E-commerce is something we all did. Like it was so like you described, it's a rounding error in your business. So I work with businesses like Jay McLaughlin, as an example. And the way that they treated their business was e-commerce was a store in the network. And that's the way a lot of organizations, most organizations treated e-commerce. E-commerce was one store in the network. And in some cases, it was the best performing store in the network. But what we've discovered over the course of the past year and a half here is Digital can't be something that you do. Digital has to be something that you are. It has to be foundational to your business. And what I thought was interesting as we went through those interviews that I was talking about earlier was 34% of those in those cases, they had no digital role. There was no data role around the table in C-suite. So it just spoke to me that digital is not foundational. And so how you understand your customers, how they transact with you, where they find you in market, all those different things is 
uh, is not fundamental to who you are. And that's fundamentally what had to change. Digital had to change from something that you do, something that you hired 23-year-old kids to kind of manage for you in the corner over there. And, you know, it either did well or didn't do well. And, and that was fine to pivoting to all those things that you described. And that that's actually where the need for, for this business came from was a diversification of experience that you needed to support e-commerce. It was pricing, it was supply chain, it was packaging, it was digital shelf management, it was all those things. So Michael, then, in order to help these brands make e-commerce foundational to their business, part of their lifeblood, as, as you would describe, what are kind of the steps that you need to take them through to achieve that status? Talking about e-commerce in particular? So I, I think the interesting thing about that question, Peter, is it's not, like when we say e-commerce, what we really mean is digital, right? It's digital commerce because it's it's everywhere. It's, it's mobile, it's, uh, frankly, it's in-store, it's, uh, delivery, it's all sorts of things when we talk about e-commerce, especially in the context of CPG in particular. So there we're talking about digital and digital is simply an expression of how consumers prefer to interact with you. So fundamentally what we're talking about is customer experience. And so, you know, the, the question I think that you have to ask, so one of the things that I that I tell our customers is to prioritize their digital self over the digital shelf. <laughs> and what I mean by that is customers want to interact with your organization. Like they're interacting with a really knowledgeable, helpful individual. And they expect that the interactions that they have with your business, regardless of the channels that they're doing it in are all going to be consistent, that they're going to be able to have the same types of conversations about their order, about your product, about anything that they want to know that has to do with your business, they're going to be able to get that from any of those channels. But I mean, as, as we all know, that's really tough to pull off as a, as a large organization to be able to get that data to flow seamlessly across those different channels and from, from group to group, department to department. So, you know, in order for it to feel like, like they're interacting with an individual that takes a lot of, of seamless, uh, you know, integrations, open sharing of data, things like that, that, that go on the back end. It's interesting. It, it kind of reminds me of a story where when I was at, a, at Ascendant, I was in one of the Forrester roundtables and I was having a problem at the time where we were trying to get the Ascendant brand name to be well known in the market. For people that don't know who they are, they're a, uh, uh, they're like a $5 billion wholesale distributor of office supplies and cleaning products just outside of Chicago here. And they were acquired by Staples a couple of years ago. And at the time, what we were trying to do is get the Ascendant brand name out there. So my idea as the head of marketing and digital at the time was, you know what, let's, let's run a bunch of TV commercials and we'll just tell the world who we are because we're like Intel. We're the power behind all of these independent businesses that run Main Street across the country and people are going to love this. And one of the leaders at Whirlpool in this roundtable stopped me and he's like, okay, I get where you're going with that. It's not a bad idea. However, think about this. As soon as the customer now listens to your message and they approach your business and they interact with you on regardless of what channel, what's going to happen? 
are they going to have the experience that you just described to them that they're supposed to have with your organization? It's like, let me propose to you a different way of thinking about the same thing. Work on yourself first. Work from the inside out and make sure that your organization functions in the way that you believe to be important. Because that itself, you may discover then as you're halfway down that journey that you actually don't need to drop a television ad because that now has seeped into the market and they know the way that you're going to interact with them. That has spoken for itself. But the, the, the message that kind of stuck with me was work on yourself first or how I've kind of twisted it around to say work on your digital self before your digital shelf. You know, perfecting, Peter, you and I have had this conversation before, spending tons and tons of time perfecting your Instacart PDP is only helpful if the experience a customer is going to have with your product after they order it off of Instacart is worth anything at all. If it's out of stock at my local Kroger and I order it off Instacart, you know, then I get one of those replacement messages that says, you know, would you like to replace your granola bars with lawn and leaf bags? You know, something, something of that nature. So, so yeah, that's, I think, you know, fundamentally, that's how you have to view it. One word that will get immortalized here at the CPG guys. Make sure you're in order with your digital self before the digital shelf. That's here to stay now. You're going to see it routine and often and in a lot of our conversations. So thank you for sharing that with us. Let's move to capabilities. This transition journey of, to digital retail, omni-channel, is it largely bottoms-up tactical or very strategic top-down or is it strategical? And if it is, what are the capabilities that matter? And how are you coaching people on those capabilities? I love that, strategical. <laughs> I'll, I'll speak from the experience tree that I have with, the, with our business so far. You know, knowing that we're uh, not nine months into this, you know, birthing this baby, but we're always pulled in tactically. Always, there's always some tactical problem that we're pulled in. We don't. We need. You know, we bought this business over here, and we need a website. We uh, had somebody who ran our e-commerce business, and they grew up inside the business and learned everything, and they left. And now we have, you know, we don't even know how to find that type of person, much less like who, who is it exactly that we're looking for to fill that role? Or uh, I'm a salesperson by pedigree, I'm the CEO. So I hired someone that I understand to run digital, to run e-commerce for me, who happens to be another relationship person. It's, it's another, uh, you know, account focused person. And now the whole other side of e-commerce when it comes to analytics, to digital shelf management, e-commerce platforming, direct-to-consumer experiences, all that kind of stuff is a big gap in the, uh, in the you know, things that we, the capabilities that we have. So those are always the reasons that we get brought in. But immediately what we've done is lifted the hood, lifted the hood to try and figure out where is this actually coming from? So the, the example of we bought a business and we need a website. We'll come into that business and, and just take a look. Okay, yeah, sure, you, you need a website. When our customer goes through, they add products to their basket, they check out, they even get that far, they hit the buy button, and, and then what? What does your relationship look like with that consumer after the buy button gets hit? And you know, we talked a little bit about it with you know, with Instacart, which applies you know, specifically to CPG, you know, there are other 
there are other sectors with products that lend themselves more to this ongoing relationship with the customer. And what does that look like? Um, you know, I think it's what, it's what, one of the, uh, one of the lessons we all learned from razor blades early on and establishing a relationship with your customer. What does that look like after they hit the buy button? But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say we, we're always coming in trying to address a tactical problem and then fundamentally looking for what is the strategic problem that you're trying to solve underneath because there there seems to always be that that underlying need to define how customer experience is powered through that organization how digital marketing is a, a digital marketing systems are a component of that you know, one of the things I wanted to <clears throat> point out was you made a mention, Michael, of somebody leaves an organization who's homegrown kind of e-commerce leader and then organizations struggle with, how do I backfill that role? How do I hire somebody? And then the simple message on that is hire a cyborg, cyborg, they, they'll be able to do it. And that's, I say that because to be an e-commerce leader, you got to pinch it across the board. One day you're a technologist, one day you're a salesperson, one day you're a marketing and branding expert. One day you're a marketing execution uh, expert doing campaign management, right? But what I want to remind our audience is this very topic of talent management around e-commerce, we actually hit up in mid-March on our 1Q1A series with Instagram. And folks, you can find it by going to Instagram and looking for the IGTV series labeled Season 3 with Suzanne Cretal. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to that in our in our liner notes as well. It's one thing for a brand to decide, okay, I bought it, a company, I bought another business, I want to create a website. It's an entirely another decision to say, I actually want to sell direct to consumer. So I'm going to steal one of Sheree's favorite topics, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. We ask this question to many people. In, in your mind, for a scaled brand these days, is direct to consumer non-negotiable going forward? And if so, what is what do you think are good reasons for a scaled brand to start looking at D2C and what are some bad reasons for them to do that? I think that's the right question to ask is what are the what are the reasons that we're doing this at all? Because the the fundamental question of like is is D2C non-negotiable or not comes down to customer journey. Where are your customers going to find you? How do you expect them to interact with you and your brand? And so, you know, in many cases in CPG, the odds of a customer coming directly to your website and being so loyal to your brand that they want to purchase that product and only that product directly from you, rather than build a whole basket of product at a, at a general retailer is it's probably pretty low. I'm not basing that on any data. I'm just basing that off of my own <laughs> personal experience. That being said, that presence, that direct-to-consumer presence is how they find you, how you build trust in them. It's how they learn about you, your product, your brand. So, you know, number one, is it important to have? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's you, you can see consumers in store flipping through information, comparing different products to one another, things like that, you know, looking for information about your products. Um, but when it comes down to the reasons for why, why would you launch something like that? 
if the reasons that you're doing that is because you're feeling your margins compressed by the retailers that you're selling through, I'm not convinced that that's the reason to do it. Couldn't agree more, right? Like the, one of the worst ways to try and achieve success or one of the best ways to fail is move your business over from a retail footprint environment with scale to DTC for margin reasons. <coughs> there, are, there are much better ways to kind of mitigate that margin problem, right? So let's stay within the DTC umbrella and let's talk about user experience. So what part of this DTC user experience do brands often overlook to deliver like what you mentioned right up front in question one, which is the full customer experience in a shopper journey map? Yeah, let me let me pick off. I, I want to pick off something on this last question and then move into your into this one. You know, Sri, I think fundamentally it's that your it comes back to the digital self. It comes back to that your brand is going to interact, your customer is going to interact with your brand across different channels at different times. And that consumer experience has to be consistent. So you know, some of our customers run up to 25, 26 different e-commerce sites, all for different purposes. And if you go to any one of those sites and you find that data is inconsistent with e with each other, or you find them in a retail outlet and that data isn't matching the data that's on those sites, or you call their customer care agent and you're asking them questions about the product that you think was supposed to work in one way and actually works in a different way, or you want to use it for one application and the customer care agent doesn't know, but they can find that information online. This is just a, it creates this disjointed, distrustful experience that you have with your customers to the point where they feel like, yeah, you know what, maybe there's actually somebody who does this a little bit better than you do. So, you know, what, what do they overlook when delivering uh, customer experiences with these technologies? I think it comes down to building what it, where are the touch points across that customer journey where I expect to interact with my customer? And then how does that all get unified on the back end within my business? So it's having the product information management system and the e-commerce platform and the customer relationship management system and marketing automation, all those systems working in concert with each other to deliver a consistent experience across those channels. Michael, what are the essential technologies that you counsel your clients on enabling to deliver a superior customer experience? And I've got to imagine that you don't start that curation every time you get a new project. To some degree, you've got to kind of curate a meaningful partner network from among. I mean, we've all seen that Chief Martech solution provider map that's up to like 8,000 logos. I love zooming in and downloading the super, super duper high res so I can zoom in and see it. But like, how do you go about doing that? Because I've got to imagine that's going to make your job a lot easier when you go to deploy for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we took an approach here that was, it drew on the experience that we had in the past running, like, you know, all of us have worked in industry before. So we were drawing on experience where we've had in putting these, these types of solutions, these types of providers in place. Some of them are partners that we've leaned on in the past in those in that capacity. 
But the way that we approached this question was, were we to be running the business, were we to be a, a brand manufacturer, a distributor on our own, who would we lean on? Who would we bring in to fill this particular role? And then we went directly to those partners and said, you know, hey, look, when I need to plug in a digital asset management system, I'm not going to run an RFP and I'm not going to hunt around the, the you know, marketing landscape looking for who the right fit is because I already know I have a trusted partner in Leiden that I can come back to and I can read in on the, you know, here's the here's the customer that we have, here are the requirements that we have. We're basically an integrated member of their team. We already know this is a fit. So let's now work on the solution. So we, we approached that more like we, we were building it into our own business, looking for those best-in-class solutions to, to plug in. One of the reasons that was so important to us was one of the big benefits in, in bringing an outside organization like ours in is, you know, number one, diversity of experience, because we're drawing on all of our team members with different backgrounds in supply chain or pricing or digital marketing technology, things like that. The other is speed. And speed comes down to this, you know, this question that you ask right now, it's being able to lean on a network of really trusted partners that we know execute really well and have technology that's worth its salt and, and bringing that in and leveraging that when we need it. Speaking of technology partners, in this journey of digital retail and a move to omni-channel, you're going to need many technology partners in the process. How can a brand be assured that the partner list they're picking is ideal for what they want to do? Yeah, that, so <laughs> that, a couple of the people who asked that same question ended up on the advisory board of, <laughs> of Eisenberg Group because that, that was the frustration. It was like, if you talk to somebody who sells hammers, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to try and convince you that your biggest problem in the world is nails. And so they're going to get you so spun up and so worked up about nails that you're going to, you're going to naturally prioritize hammers above everything else. But what you haven't done is kind of backed up, zoomed out to understand where does this really fit in the overall priorities that I have? Um, and really then selecting a best in class provider for what those different priorities are. The other thing that we saw was not only do people kind of naturally, right? I mean, I would, I would do this if I was a software or a you know, provider as well, try and convince people that that was the biggest problem that they have. The, the other aspect of that, though, is like Peter is saying, I love that, that map, the like Pangea map with 8,000 providers and, you know, zooming in on, you know, different parts of that, you know, the continents and city states there to find what providers are there. But what's happened as a result, as those companies try and grow, is everybody says that they can do everything. So if it's, you know, syndicating to these retailers, or it's an analyzing the digital shelf on these retailers, or it's, you know, connecting for in-store and planogram type purposes over here versus, you know, all, all of this type of stuff. A lot of providers are saying that they, you know, they are in the adjacent markets next to where they actually compete. So I think in some respects, it does help to have an independent voice be able to speak to what they know to be true. 
that they you know have experience working with providers in the past and knowing you know who can send data where how that data gets sent what experiences it actually supports whether or not you'll have control over that product content in the future um you know all those types of things like being able to double click on those problems and get down into them and understand okay you know so and so says that they can you know move data to this point in the ecosystem but what does that actually mean like how what what customer experience am i actually supporting over here what am i going to be able to take control of and optimize in partnership with that retailer i want to remind our audience that all of our content our audio podcast video podcast documents from our profitability series a list of all our favorite podcasts that we listen to when we're not recording the cpg guys you can find it it's all available no cost cpgguys.com and please do give us some feedback on ratethispodcast.com slash CPG guys, because we want to make sure that what we're talking about and who we're talking to you or who we are talking to is relevant to you. So please do that. Michael, I want to thank you tremendously for joining us today. This was a very educational podcast. You really helped us break down the issues that brands are facing, how they can turn themselves from being just uh, e-commerce is a nice to have to e-commerce plays a critical role in overall business uh, and more than e-commerce, digital commerce and digital enablement. We'll call it unified commerce. That's a term a previous guest has, has been advocating. I think that's probably very appropriate here. So can you remind everybody where uh, they can find Isomer Group online to learn more about what you do? Yeah, sure. And it, guys, thanks. Thanks for having me. I love, love what you're doing. I, you know, as I mentioned on LinkedIn, really followed you guys closely and I'm really happy to see the success that you're having. So just, you know, I've enjoyed being a guest and, uh, and participate. People can find us at Isomer Group. Isomer is I-S-O-M-R, drop the E, <laughs> dot group. So I-S-O-M-R dot group. You can find us online. Uh, you can Google Isomer, I-S-O-M-R, and we'll pop up there too. Uh, yeah. So. Great. We will put links to that and to your LinkedIn profile in the liner notes of this podcast. So thank you. Shri, uh, another great episode where we broke things down. We asked some detailed questions and we got some very good answers to how you go about executing in this craft we call unified commerce. You bet, Peter. And as always, we go a week. Thank you. All right. And with that, I want to say to our audience, we really appreciate you joining us for this episode. And we look forward to you having us on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them 
or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.